Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is The Office. Australians have a love affair with residential property, but what about commercial property that might include office space, industrial property, or shopping centres? If you thought there was no way you could access these as an investor, then think again. My guest today is Steve Bennett, Head of Direct Property at Charter Hall. Steve oversees $3 billion worth of property investments on behalf of individual investors, super funds, and large institutions. Today, you will learn about the characteristics of good commercial property, the risks, and what you should look out for. My rant of the week this week is about you guessed it, the bank's increasing interest rates. Enjoy the show. Folks, you're listening to Ruben Zeller on the Finance Hour, either live on JR or on our podcast. This is the show where we make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better decisions. And the topic of this week's show is the office. We're going to talk about uh, the investment potential of commercial investments, be that uh, office space, uh, retail shopping centers, uh, or industrial properties. Uh, it's certainly something that should be of interest to most people. Australia have ha- traditionally had a love affair with buying residential property, um, but a lot of people won't know about the real benefits of commercial property. And we're going to have a great discussion today uh, with uh, Charter Hall. Uh, so that will be a fantastic discussion. Uh, before we get to that, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is about Westpac paying $35 million fine for their home loan conduct. What happened they did is they lent money to people between 2011 and 2015 and didn't actually check their living expenses that well. So what happened was a lot of people got loans. Uh, arguably, you know, they weren't assessed as well as they should have. About 10,500 loans and about 5,400 of those are still active, the remainder of which got must have either got paid back or refinanced. And what's interesting about this, they got this big fine, but there's absolutely no evidence that anyone was worse off because of them lending the money. Uh, anybody who knows about uh, doing loan applications in the past, it's changed a bit the last few months, but you put a rough estimate of your living expenses, you don't go down to the last dollar, and then you get your loan. That's just the, generally the way it's worked. So it looks to me like they've been applying this technicality on exactly how they, what, what information they got with regard to living expenses. And then ASIC decided to fine them $35 million. Look, As you've heard from me on the show before, I criticise banks where it's warranted. But to be honest with you, this seems to me like a bit of a victimless crime. There are no people that that came out crying saying that you know they they couldn't pay the loans back because of it. So I think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup. Okay, well we're going to have a quick break, and then we will have on the phone Steve from Charter Hall. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is the office. We are going to talk about the benefits of investing in commercial property. And my guest this week is Steve Bennett, who is the head of Charter Hall uh, Direct Property Business. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Ruben. 
It's great to have you. Now, Steve, uh, just as a way, a bit of background. Well, before I do give you background, actually, I should put a legal disclaimer on uh, because I'm a financial advisor. We're going to talk a bit about investments today, but nothing that we say today is a recommendation of a particular investment product. Uh, if you want to consider buying a product, you should uh, go to the website, have a look at a product disclosure statement, get some financial advice, uh, but certainly don't do it just on the basis of what you hear today. Sorry, Steve, I forgot to do that before. Uh, but no, Steve, I completely agree. <laughs> but Steve, uh, you're the head of Charter Hall's direct property business, and I know it's a pretty big business, got over $3 billion of assets under management. Uh, but do you want to just give us a little bit of background uh, more in Charter Hall and what your role is there? Sure, look, the business I look after, as you rightly point out, Ruben, manages a bit over $3 billion of assets. And that's all in Australian commercial property. And our investors are across the spectrum of self-managed super funds, uh, retail mum and dad investors, as well as high net wealth investors. Um, Charterall actually manages $23 billion. Yeah. The balance is uh, we manage a lot of money on behalf of large institutions, sovereign wealth funds, um, and pension funds. So it's got over $23 billion of assets. And Charter Hall is a, a listed company in and of itself, isn't it? Absolutely. So it's a listed stock. Uh, we actually, as well as the listed entity CHC, we manage two other listed vehicles, CQR, a mm-hmm. listed retail fund, and the Charter Hall Long While REIT, uh, CLW. Right. But the, so the Charter Hall business itself, essentially uh, what its revenue stream is from managing property assets largely on behalf of investors. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, terrific. So, look, uh, obviously, you know, I talked about before, Australians have a love affair with with residential property, uh, love affair with term deposits, some could say with blue chip shares as well, but probably commercial property, as you say, people might hold it indirectly, um, but, you know, it's probably not as popular an asset class as the other ones I've just mentioned. So, can you maybe just give us a bit of a background? What are the different uh, types of commercial property? Uh, and why do you think it is that that you know it's 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 not one of those asset classes that the average person thinks about too much? Look, I think um, the reason why it may not be as well known and invested into is some of those other sectors which you rightly point out, Ruben. Is it's probably for two reasons. One, it's um, it just doesn't have the profile of residential. Mm. Um, it's not something everyone already owns or knows someone that does invest into. Um, the second thing is. Uh, people don't necessarily think it's a sector that they can get involved in. Um, yeah. When people hear commercial property, they might think large office buildings in the CBDs, industrial complexes, and the dollar values are just out of the reach of most investors, and um, the inquiry can stop just there. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So what? can you just give me an overview? Obviously, you've talked about uh, you know, the large shopping centres, but what are the different types of commercial property? Sure, look, commercial property is a... I guess a general term that covers the, the core sectors, or most commonly called the core sectors, which are the office buildings, which people work in, and many yep. people uh, on your listeners would know intimately, industrial and logistics assets, as well as retail um, shopping centres. Yeah, there are other um, what I'd probably term niche or more specialised areas, which includes hotels, childcare, uh, self storage, etc. So it's mm. all those kind of um, types of investments. Uh, really uh, excluding residential. 
Yeah. So obviously in terms of return, there are two types of return with almost any growth asset class, and that's, I guess, the income return, which I would un- which in properties is underpinned by rental and, and capital growth. Uh, what are the sorts of you know, historical returns uh, of each of those that, that, that you get in, in commercial property? I know it might be different by different sectors, um, but how would, you know, what kind of returns or how would someone look back and say, you know, this is what, what you can ex- what we've got in the past and what you can expect in the future? Sure. Uh, look, the long-term returns from just take unlisted property, for example, so unlisted property funds, which is more in tune with the returns associated with the asset class, they're around 10% per annum. Yeah. Um, and as you said, that's total return. And so that's broken down about six to seven percent um, of income. Yeah. So the income component is around two thirds, and the balance of around three to four percent is the capital growth, uh, largely coming from the fixed rental increases yeah. that uh, are built into Australian lease terms. And, and is that the same across, uh, you know, office space and and, and shopping centres and industrial? Is it all fairly similar? Look, it does vary. Slightly, um, if you look at office as a, a property sector, it tends to be more cyclical. Mm-hmm. So you can get some greater capital gains, um, mm. but it's more in tune with the business cycles, mm. um, supply and demand. Industrial, more of the returns tend to be weighted to the income side of the equation. And yeah. look, I think y- your first question was around why more people don't invest into this. Um, look, once they hear the type of income return you can get from high-quality industrial grade property um, of 6 to 7%, um, it gets a lot of interest. Yeah. Uh, we all know term deposits are very low, and if you're a self-funded retiree or trying to draw a, a pension, um, 2 or 3% doesn't even cover your running costs. So that's how some people uh, bring this kind of an asset class into their wider portfolio. Yeah. So we'll talk about how we get access uh, in a, just a moment, but this is just a bit of an aside uh, you know, talking about uh, commercial property and office property in particular, because so a lot of our, you know, but a lot of our listeners will be working in offices. Uh, is it? And you said it's cyclical, but is it the case that it seems to me like for quite a while there was this move to people moving out of office space or working from home, and every, all the big companies were condensing, you know, the amount of space that they they had. But there, I don't know. My just feeling is that that's now kind of it's now gone the full circle and people are, are moving back to wanting to work in offices. Is that something you've noticed? Yeah, look, the, the trends you point out was something that probably people were worried about um, over the last few years, the yeah. trend towards people working from home, activity-based working where people don't always have their own desk and it's hot desk in. I can tell you, Charter Hall, we actually brought in um, activity-based working mm-hmm. so I don't have an allocated desk each day. But you know what? It didn't take less space. Mm. And that's because we took a lot more breakout rooms, mm. communal areas to interact with. And one of the things um, we've found and the industry's found uh, probably more generally is that, uh, and it stands to reason, humans are social beings. Yeah. Um, we like to be around other people and it's great to have the flexibility to work from home, um, but it's also terrific to come in with your colleagues, mm. uh, bouncing off and discussing. So, yeah. look, that, that trend has, it, it will continue, um, but it's not leading to reduced demand for space. Um, yeah, and, and, I, the same thing, yeah. and it looks like there's a lot of demand for these sort of, uh, you know, 
cooperative working spaces as well. So you've got you know small micro businesses moving into these shared office spaces where they'd previously be working from home. I think that's a big move as well. Absolutely, and just to give you a real life example: a company called WeWork. Yeah, we have them in our uh, one of our assets. Uh, they're actually, depending on whose statistics you read, one of the largest uh, private users of space in New York and London. Wow. Now. And, and that's a business that didn't even exist 10 years ago. And it's, it's bringing all these small people that may have worked out of a garage, yeah. small industrial unit, um, into these collaborative spaces to generate ideas and innovation. And that they're taking a hell of a lot of space. Right. Okay, well, let's move back to that point we were discussing before in terms of people's access to commercial property because, as you said, you know, there's no way I can go out and compete against, you know, John Gandal uh, to buy the Chadston Shopping Centre. Um, yeah. But just, just give me, like, you know, sort of people's options in terms of getting getting access, you know, to this asset class. Well, look, I'll run through the, the various options, which are... You can invest directly yourself. That's yep. probably the first and foremost. And that may be an office suite in a building. It might be a small industrial unit, often where um, people run their own business out of. But even then, most investors, um, if you want some diversification and spread, um, they're quite limited in actually what you can buy in there because of the dollar amounts. Yeah. The second way is through the listed market. So yep. on the ASX, these vehicles called A-REITs, yep. which are basically listed property companies. And they provide daily liquidity, uh, which is a terrific boon for what is, in effect, an illiquid asset class mm. by its nature. But the other thing people need to be aware of is that they tend to move much more like equities. So right. when the market's up, they'll be um, influenced as well and mm. much more like market sentiment. Yeah, so even though the underlying the- asset underneath, underneath the hood is actually property. Absolutely, and whose fundamental valuation hasn't moved and there's been no leasing changes in that Mm. time. Mm. Which brings us to the third category, which is unlisted property funds. And these vehicles uh, are illiquid by nature. At Charter Hall, we tend to have five-year investment terms with small amounts of limited liquidity every six months. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of these type of vehicles is that you get exposure to the true property returns without some of that market noise. Yeah. The downside is it's not an investment you can trade in and out of on a daily basis. But as I said, this is property. You wouldn't buy your home expecting to sell it the next day. Um, you think the same way when you're looking at commercial properties. So well. can you give us an example, I uh, know, so with your property funds, just an example of one or two properties that are in there that maybe um, you know maybe listeners will be aware of bearing in mind that we most of our listeners will be in Melbourne sure so look uh, uh, direct office fund which is our flagship fund um, has 1.5 billion dollars of assets yeah we actually have a 50 percent interest in Coles headquarters there at Turak oh yep yep and that benefits from over a 12 year lease so that investment for our share is around $100 million. Mm-hmm. And you can see why you need to pull capital to get exposure to that. And even there, we didn't want exposure to 100% of that asset. So we have acquired half of it to make sure the fund stays diversified and spreads the risk. Yeah. So once again, in those funds, investors have, you know, investors buy units in that fund, you know, similar to what they buy shares in a company. They've got like a, you know, a fractional interest in the, in the overall portfolio. Absolutely. It's through um, units in the trust. Yeah. And because they are trust, 
they're fully uh, flow-through vehicles from a tax point of view. So you also get the benefits of tax deferred and the depreciation and amortisation, just like you would if you owned the property directly in your own name. Yeah. So, okay, so you're talking about that Coles building, for example, and I know there are a lot of other properties in there, but what's what's the general characteristics um, that make, you know, the particular investments you select good investments? What should, what, what do you look for, and in theory, what could people themselves look for? Yeah, look, I guess we're very focused on who our end clients are, and mm. they are self-managed super funds, our mum and dad investors, and even the high net wealth that come with us. They're primarily investing for income, and that security of income stream. So that yeah. frames our whole investment process. Mm-hmm. And what we focus on at Charter Hall is we focus on uh, quality assets, so properties that tenants will want to be in regardless of the cycle. Mm. Uh, we focus on long-term leases, and we focus on who's paying the rent on those leases. Because if you can get long-term leases, and I'm talking 10, 12, 15-year lease terms, and it's an ASX 200 entity, or even better, a government entity paying the lease, I can give my investors a lot of certainty regarding the distributions that will be paid mm. over that investment term. And that, that's um, probably been our biggest point of difference to other managers and led to a lot of our success in the fund returns that we've been able to achieve. Yeah, and, and I guess, and the big difference for our listeners to know, the difference between residential and commercial properties, a, a big chunk is actually the, the, the lease. I mean, with residential property, you can have lease terms of only 12 months or so. But with commercial property, as you say, you can have lease terms up to 15 years, I guess even longer? Absolutely. Look, one of our investment vehicles just um, bought a part interest in Woolworths new uh, distribution centre, so a big industrial uh, building out in eastern uh, Melbourne. And they, Woolworths, because of their capital investment that they needed to put into that centre, we're happy to sign a 20-year lease term. Mm. And that lease term actually has each year the rent uh, increases every year by a fixed known amount. Mm. So that gives you not only income now, but some protection against uh, inflation over time and, just as importantly, a growing income stream. Yeah, but is there a risk? Um, I mean, you talk about that Coles building, for example. And, and in that fund that, that you're talking about, how many properties are in there? Um, there's nine in that chunk. Okay. So isn't there a risk though? You have like one of those, you know, behemoth sort of properties, well, by uh, mum and dad standards, and you've got a long lease, but what happens if Coles at the end of that decide to leave and it's completely vacant? I mean, isn't that a potential big risk of, of this asset class? Ruben, that's a very good question. And um, it's probably one of the things... Uh, most people overlook when they go into this sector. And Mm. um, as a professional property manager, I can tell you we're always focused on the exit for Mm. our investors. So we're we're quite fortunate at Charter Hall. We're uh, Woolworths number one or number two landlord across the whole of Australia. That's in office, uh, retail and industrial. And what that means is we develop very Mm. good relationships with them. Um, We work with them. um, But we also may need to move the asset on or sell it to another investment vehicle or Mm. owner who's better prepared to take on that risk. Mm. The beauty of a a long-term lease means you've got greater control over when you you can sell that versus if you've got a five-year lease, Mm. um, that decision needs to be made pretty quickly. Right, so you'll make the assessment based on what the objective of your fund is, the risk you're willing to take, and then you'll test the market. But I guess there's no guarantee, you know, what the 
what the market is going to be like at the time, you, know, you, you might, I'll, you might I'll be trying to sell at a bad time. I would love to tell you that investing in commercial property is a risk-free investment, mm, mm. Um, but that's certainly not the case. The, the returns of around that 10% are good returns, but they do come with specific risks, uh, no different to any other investment mm. class. And for property, it, it's probably broken down into property-specific so things where even like you touch on the lease term, uh, what's happening at the asset level, um, then that the the res oh sorry the commercial property market that it's in. So what's happening with supply and demand in those markets, mm. and third, it's um, what's happening in the general economy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but many of these risks are no different to investing into equities, for mm. example. And one of those things you're talking about the general economy. I mean, people, you know, there's all this talk on whether it's overdone or not about uh, you know, the shopping centres, about people moving out of them and Amazon's going to kill everyone and you know the shopping centres keep charging exorbitant rents that no one can pay. I mean, do you think that's a real risk at the moment or is it overblown? Look, the, the retail sector that's probably been under the most pressure is that discretionary space. Mm. So your clothing suppliers, um, some of your electronics, um, things that have been readily transferred um, to the e-commerce side. Mm -hmm. um, I guess what we focus on at Charter Hall, though, is we focus on that non-discretionary uh, part mm. of the retail spectrum. So typically it's a Coles or Woolworths-anchored supermarket with a number of small specialties hanging off it. Um, and something that people very often overlook is, okay, e-commerce is the risk um, that's impacting on the retail uh, commercial property space. What are the opportunities? And that e-commerce is having a big, positive and profound impact on the industrial property market throughout mm. Australia and, to be honest, throughout the world already. Yeah, so people need more warehousing and stuff to actually move to actually move the stuff. Absolutely. So someone clicks on uh, a website, purchases a new sweater, that uh, puts in play a series of events. Mm. A stock is shipped to a warehouse, it's bundled up, packaged up, distributed often to somewhere else before it finally hits the um, the client's uh, mailbox. Mm. And what that means is these uh, logistics companies, these e-commerce companies actually need a lot more space mm. in the industrial than a traditional industrial user because goods aren't just packed up, stored in the corner for three months. Often the stuff comes in one side of the building and is shipped straight out without being stored. Yeah, so interestingly, I mean, not quite the same, but I was having a, I met a, a sort of a, a friend the other day who's in the uh, off the storage space, and basically when people are moving houses, uh, you know, they they store your the stuff that you don't have the heart to get rid of, uh, and he and he says, you know, it's like it's it's really booming, and he said, you know, but people also with their store, you know. That we buy so much stuff these days that we don't need, people hoard, and that's actually leading to a, a boon for his business. Okay, I can believe it. I, I had the benefit of living in London for three years and mm. did did the Australian thing and then packed up all our stuff and put it in one of those storage units, like you just said, and I was quite horrified with myself when I came home and looked at what I'd actually bothered to keep. I think half of it went straight into the bin and yeah. um, I kind of moved on with my life. The rest of charity. So look, um, yeah. I also want to ask, obviously one of the things that people have done a lot with residential property is negative gearing. You know, the banks have traditionally been happy to lend a lot of money, 80% plus for residential property, although that's getting a little tougher. Um, but that's what people have done traditionally in this country. 
Can you tell me a little bit about gearing borrowing to invest in the commercial property space? Sure. Look, the, the first thing to be aware of is these kind of property investments that I've talked about, whether it's an A-REIT or an unlisted property fund, the debt is fully self-contained in the investment vehicle, mm-hmm. so the investor doesn't actually need to do anything. That's the right. first thing to right. be aware of. The second thing to be aware of, um, and this is what I think good managers do better than others, is they undertake a prudent level of gearing. And mm. at Chart Hall, we, we typically think of gearing range, depending on the um, investment mandate and the investors, around 25 to 45% level. Mm-hmm. And that means you're getting some of the benefits of the low interest rate environment, but you're not taking on too much risk. Um, and I could tell you, each one of the funds I manage, I could provide higher distribution levels immediately if I mm. simply re-geared the funds. But you know what? That, in our view, doesn't get the balance right between the risk and return for our investors. Mm. And what sort of, you know, what, what's the maximum percent that a bank would sort of lend? Say you bought, you know, 500 million or just let's say a million dollar property. What's the maximum that the banks tend to lend against it? Look, depending on the asset, if you've got an asset that has a long-term lease in play, um, ideally a portfolio of assets, which banks tend to prefer, so mm. it spreads their risk, you can get loans up to 60%, loan yeah. to value ratio, um, but you'll pay a higher margin for that mm. privilege. Um, and look, it's not something we believe is the right level of leverage in commercial property um, for retail investors to take. But that's yeah. philosophically uh, our, our position. And what sort of interest rates do you pay as compared to residential property? So, so obviously the, these are interest rates that are, that are paid within that fund structure itself, but what sort of rates do you guys get? Look, if you if you consider you can get a three or five year debt facility, um, the all-in rate's around 4% Jeez. that you're paying for that's the, cheap. the it's commercial. Like, it's no, no more than home loan rates. No, absolutely. And, mm. But if you think about it, it's, it's a lot less uh, leverage for the banks. Yeah, that's so true. We don't, we're not geared at 80%, for example. Um, and those income returns I mentioned earlier, 6 to 7%, I should point out that is after all costs. So that's after interest expense, mm. uh, any management fees, property costs. That's the cash that investors receive in their hand um, per annum and usually paid each quarter. So that. That's probably the biggest difference to residential property if you're comparing commercial assets uh, in the, to the residential space. So yeah. Residential may be um, actually a negative cash flow by the time mm. you factor in all costs. Um, commercial property is a positive income. So it's just on interest rates, just uh, talking about the other side of interest rates because everything you hear now, you know, people go in and buy property and they say, oh, well, you get nothing in the bank, so you know you may as well put your money in nab shares or telstra shares or buy that property because you know what's your other options but i've always you know said on this show that i think that that sometimes can lead to risks for example in america you know, interest rates have been zero for so long slowly increasing now but that that pushed the share prices up very high and almost you know what what i would consider to be too high is that a risk now as well that interest rates being so low people are just pouring into these asset classes like like property like commercial property and pushing up the prices too high? Um, look, that's a risk whenever um, people steer away from the fundamentals. And look, we do see it um, pop up with certain assets where we'll bid on them um, and we'll drop out of the running pretty quick because mm. the, the value in our view is surpassed what we believe is the intrinsic or fundamental value. Um, 
you need to be careful. Sometimes investors can trick themselves into thinking they're getting great returns, but all they've done is tipped in a lot of leverage to generate those returns. Mm, mm. You really need to consider whether it's a property or infrastructure or whatever it is on a stabilised um, level of gearing. And that way you, you can see what the underlying investment's giving you uh, versus the leverage. And it's also important to factor in rental increases, whether it's a residential property or commercial property. Um, interest rates are at historic lows. Um, mm. What we do is we pick up the expected forward curve over the next five years and we build that into all our, our financial forecasts. All right, terrific, Steve. Well, we're getting towards the end of the show, but I always like to ask uh, my guests for their top three tips. So I'm going to ask you uh, in about a minute and a half at max for your top three tips for investors considering an investment in commercial property. Look, the first one would be to go with a reputable manager. And I'm not saying it needs to be chartable by any case, but you want to go with someone who has a strong track record and importantly, people located on the ground wherever the assets are held. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the first thing, and you need that to manage property well. The second is to buy quality assets. Um, Don't chase the higher yield, the extra tiny bit of return. Um, I'm telling you over cycles, um, and that's how you need to look at things, buying the best quality assets that tenants will want to be in uh, throughout different cycles, and investors will want to purchase when you want to exit, is a much better long-term bet. Yeah. And the third touches on what we're just discussing, Ruben, around the debt. Do not overgear your investment. Mm. Um, a prudent manager, in our view, um, for self-managed super funds, uh, retail investors, 45% gearing is the maximum you should be looking at. And if the headline income return looks too good to be true, uh, I'd really encourage you to look closely at the underlying property asset and check the level of gearing. All right, Steve, well, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much. It's certainly been, um, it's been really enlightening and I think shed some light on a subject that a lot of people don't know that much about. Uh, so I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Ruben. I, I really enjoyed it and um, happy to participate whenever suits. So thank Terrific. you very much for the opportunity. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, well, that just about sums up our show for today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you want to listen to any previous episodes, certainly search us on iTunes, The Finance Hour, or go to my website, adaptwealth.com.au, or in fact, even go to the JA website, where you could download my podcast or one of the other 30 to 40 shows that are on. I would appreciate if you do get a chance to leave me a review on iTunes. That'll just mean that we can reach more people. Uh, But that's about all for today, and look forward to seeing you next week.